Accessing. It is a recorded message. Here. Decrypted. Admiral Picard. I'm encoding this transmission with coordinates. Beverly. Listen to me very carefully. Hellbird. Repeat. Hellbird. Hellbird. And John Luke. No, Starfleet. Trust. No one. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the Titan Bridge. This is... Tyler Orton sending out positive vibes to Will Wheaton, who was tragically recast this season as the son of Beverly Crusher. First Echeb, now this. This will not stand. <laughs> Who's going to be the next person recast, Cam? Uh, easy answer, Naomi Wildman. Naomi Wildman. Okay, okay. <laughs> Cam, yeah, yeah. we are here with the season three episode, premiere episode of Star Trek Picard. Um, we... <laughs> had a tough time with season two of Star Trek Picard. I think it got off to a very strong start, at least with those first two, even three episodes. You know, we were intrigued by what had in store. Uh So I sit down, and I'll give you my initial thoughts here. And I I, I sit down, and I'm... I I wonder if I would have had very different thoughts of this premiere had this been the series premiere of Star Trek Picard. I sat in this watching and just thinking about like all the little seams that I could tug on, like knowing kind of the um, proclivities that the creators have for kind of their decisions, whether it's directing, writing, acting styles here. And so, well, I can say like, yeah, this is a fine episode of, um, you know, Star Trek Picard. I, you know, I, I just like, there's a lot of stuff lingering over my head that makes me a little bit wary, despite a lot of stuff that I really did enjoy, but that happened to me last season, and I got burnt. And so I know there's been lots of positive, you know, uh, reviews coming out. People have seen the first six episodes that were sent to critics, you know. Um, that doesn't really matter to me so much. I'm I'm wondering if I'm going to be tugging at uh, the, the seams of this um, as the season progresses, despite the fact that you're getting a lot more musical cues that you would desire, <laughs> a lot more familiar faces, that sort of stuff. That's not really going to do it for me. What it is ultimately is is um, the storytelling. And uh, I don't know, those are my initial thoughts here. I know I'm dumping on this a little bit more than maybe I intended to, but um, I, I'm curious about your reaction to this. I think you and I are in a very similar boat here um, because I couldn't stop thinking about the Stargazer episode while I was watching this. And I really enjoyed the Stargazer episode, both the first time I saw it and on the rewatch. I enjoyed this episode as well. So like, uh, you know, the blurb, uh, the premiere for Star Trek Picard Season 3, very promising, offers some really interesting things that hopefully will lead to a fulfilling season. That's kind of my uh, short takeaway of the episode. But there was an awful lot of things here where I'm going like, there are cosmetically big differences between the seasons. You can just look at 
some of the effects work, like the way they have the launch of the Titan, like the majesty they put into an effect shot there that is completely absent from any effect shot in Season 2 Picard. Um, so there's bits like that. There's obviously beloved characters and just the chemistry between Frakes and Stuart. Like, how how many decades have they worked on this? Of course it's magic to see them together on screen. But I'm also sitting there going like, oh, geez, everyone's life is crap. The classic Star Trek Picard thing. It's like we have to, like, take everyone to dark places so they can crawl their way back out through a season. Um, there's violence aspects in this episode that had me rolling my eyes. But there's a lot of stuff that was, like, encouraging. But I can't take it as this means this show has righted its way. It just, to me, means we're off to a promising start. But I'm waiting to see if those nagging issues that are somewhat still there are going to just multiply in the coming episodes, you know, to the end. Does it feel as if Frakes and Stuart, who I agree, they have chemistry. Does it feel as if uh, they're playing, you know, Riker and Picard respectively? Or does it feel like they're playing themselves in a Riker and Picard kind of <laughs> suit, so to speak? Okay. Patrick Stewart, uh, there's nothing changed. He is playing an entirely different character than Jean-Luc Picard. Mm -hmm. I don't know who this character is. So he is playing the Picard I am now familiar with after sitting through two seasons of Star Trek Picard. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, Frakes? Uh, you know, the thing with Frakes that makes it a little tricky for me is that he had so little to do in the movies that I kind of don't see as much of a character evolution the way I do with Picard it feels like he was so much so often like second banana in the movies that I didn't kind of get a good sense as to how his character would have progressed but I will say it at least feels consistent with Nepente I can say that okay I just and I wonder how much it is the fact that like we've been at so many conventions where he is and his personality on stage really seems to be shining through in this portrayal of Riker versus Riker seemed like a far more serious character back in the TNG days, despite the fact that, uh, you know, he'd go on Ryza and uh, do some hanky-panky or he would, you know, like play trombone, you know, but he was still a very serious person. And it's just when I when I hear him talking about, you know, being an old fart or how he has to get up and pee more that he's older, it's like I don't <laughs> picture Riker... Circa 1991, <laughs> using the word pee or fart, you know, it's, it's like. Uh, but I, I picture right, uh, I picture freaks doing so, you know, and so this is just what I worry about. Like I, but here's the thing, I don't think there's any other character that I have to worry about that with. Like I get the sense that uh, like Marina Sirtis is going to be coming back playing Deanna Troy, not playing Marina Sirtis. Um, those are very distinct individuals. Um, yeah. You know, same with, uh, you know, Brent Spiner, same with Michael Dorn and Worf, LeVar Burton and Jordy. Um, you know, but it's just... <laughs> Gates McFadden to be determined. <laughs> well, yeah. It, like, okay, well, let's start. Okay. The episode kicks off with one uh, Beverly Crusher, you know. Um, like, it, to me, oh, I, I have to say this. I've not seen Gates McFadden on screen in a long time, like 2002, Nemesis, right? Yeah. It was absolutely wonderful seeing her on screen again, you know? Um, 
as you alluded to, like action hero crusher. That's not necessarily how I remembered her from her TNG days. So at you know TBD, as you're saying, <laughs> um, but it was just delightful to witness her. Although her entry point, it were um, okay. I, I have to say, I don't think the directing was well. There were some very awkward moments of directing this episode. Number one, that uh, moment on the bridge of the Elios at the very start, where there's that awkward off-camera voice. Then she closes the door very abruptly and you hear some shouting yeah what was that well that was uh that was wesley crusher right on the other side of that door (laughs) (laughs) being jettisoned into space (laughs) well it was her trying to predict um her son um presumably yeah uh mystery mystery who the father might be cam right Uh Uh, okay so um Uh you know but i'll say this you know we see her kicking ass as gates mcfadden has been saying throughout the uh the press interviews um i liked the music throughout this action sequence it felt far more star trekky than say the first two seasons um you know so, so it's a great way to um look i'm very delighted to kick off the season with beverly crusher um i'm even more delighted with the kind of the five seconds of the first contact theme that really kind of set the the right mood i think for me and didn't okay then the old timey song that started to bleed into that it felt very much like something you'd uh hear during one of those montages on like you know better call saul or breaking bad or something like that so it's just kind of this interesting dichotomy of uh moods or or i should say juxtaposition um that you have going from kind of this majestic score to um i guess (laughs) picard likes making Beverly mixtapes, like rather than wine and roses. Back when, when exactly were they courting Cam? This is what's always uh, like throughout this episode is rather unclear to me when he and Lars <laughs> use the operative word of tried to be lovers. Well, um, how old's her son? Well, I know, I know, I know. I think that might answer your question. <laughs> so is this like around the Nemesis era? I guess probably just after, because if she's been gone for twenty years, um. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right, and I'll assume they were together for a little bit at least, a right? A little bit, yeah. Uh, you know, they they tried being yeah. the operative word because there were hints of it in season seven, but nothing explicit in season oh, seven of TNG, and then definitely nothing, no hints at all through any of the movies. So nor Beverly, <laughs> no signs of her either. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Um, oh dear. So. Okay, okay. I, um, the other thing I, I found interesting is Riker was like, yeah, it's so weird. You know, she just cuts me, Deanna, Jordy off. No mention of a wharf there. It's like, yeah, I guess those two are never <laughs> never all that close. Like, how many wharf and uh, Beverly adventures were there back in the day? I'm, I can't really count. Not too many. I mean, in terms of, like, starting a season, it's kind of like the oldest trick in the book, open yeah. with, like, an action sequence like this to get people invested, especially when it's a beloved character that people haven't seen in forever. But there was a pause I had when, after she'd killed the first assailant, and then she, like, shot the second one, and he hit the ground, and then she, like, walked over and just vaporized him, and I was like, uh, okay, Dr. Crusher. Yeah. <laughs> Do no harm. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Um, but also other stuff like she has to keep cocking the uh <laughs> the phaser rifle. Um Yeah. Why? <laughs> like Well, Data did say lock and load. 
Okay, okay. There, there are no, like, as far as I understood from that action sequence, there weren't any, like, like ballistic weapons or, or ammunition within this phaser rifle. I don't understand why she had to keep cocking it. Like, I was like, well, no, I understand why. It's like, because it looks badass. And I was like, eh, eh. Tyler, yeah. Tyler. This was an episode that featured someone being awoken by a noise that was happening outside in space. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> I don't think they're thinking that far in advance. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to skip forward just a little bit further. Um, I, I want to get this out of the way. And it's something that's just been gnawing at me for two seasons. And I think I've just finally come to grips with it in this season three premiere. When, um, <laughs> when we see the return of Raffi. Hmm. And it appears that she's off the wagon once more. And I saw the acting being performed by M Michelle Hurd during that yeah. sequence. I wanted to throw acid at my television screen. <laughs> I thought you were going to say my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was relieved that at the end of the sequence, they revealed that, you know, she's undercover pretending to still have addiction issues. Cam, I, I'll just say this. I don't think um, Picard is uh, playing to whatever Michelle Hurd's strengths might be as a performer. I, I haven't seen her in anything else. She might be a fantastic actress in other things. I really don't think she's a good performer at all in the world of Star Trek. I just, like, her reaction to the destruction of that recruitment center, that Starfleet recruitment center in District 7 of Metallus Prime, it was just, like, her twitching eye, and it just, like, it, it, it just felt like it was from the school of overacting or something. And I'm just, like, it's not how somebody would actually react to kind of the horror unfolding in front of them. And then her, you know, trying to play the addict looking for a hit from her dealer the orion i was just like is raffi the bad actor or is michelle heard and i just think back to the material they've been giving michelle heard the past two seasons it's been garbage but yes you know what there have been some performers that have been able to actually like um elevate that garbage michelle has not been one of those and so i don't want to be that jerk who's picking on a character, um, I, I, I'm totally cognizant. This is a show hosted by two white dudes picking on the lone w woman of color <laughs> headlining the series. And I'm just like, ugh, I've given it two years. I don't think Rafi's a very interesting character, and I don't think Michelle Hurd has been giving a very interesting performance or a good performance. And I just think back to that episode. I think it was at Stardust City Rag where she met up with her son, and yeah. that was just such a cringy scene, and I don't think she was able to elevate that. Well, do you, to me, she feels like perhaps the most misused character on the series Picard. I think Agnes Gerardi is yeah. running a close second with her. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, like, Isa Brionis might be like, what about me? I was completely ignored <laughs> through most of season two. But uh, to me, like, the Raffi character... They reboot this show every season. Mm -hmm. This season, this premiere to me just felt like, oh, it's a new show again. Mm -hmm. We are pretty much changing the entire tone. I've got Seven and Picard together acting like they don't really know each other, despite the fact they're saying old friends or whatever. And Raffi, I think, may have suffered the most of this. I'm going to say she has a little bit of the um, Oscar Isaac in the new Star Wars trilogy syndrome, 
where it's like every season, they're like, what do we need Rafi to do in this season? That's what we're writing. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, at the end of season two Picard that would indicate that Rafi is about to become a like deep cover operative who's been left out in the cold and having to pose as a drug addict. Like that doesn't... So I, I can kind of like have a lot of sympathy for Michelle Hurd being tossed into this character and she doesn't even have a foundation. Like who is this character? I don't know. She's whatever the show needs her to be season to season. Kim, I, I, if you feel uncomfortable answering, I, I totally understand. Do you think Michelle Hurd is a good actress based on what you've seen? Um, okay, so my only previous experience was her in Ash versus the Evil Dead, where she was actually really fun bouncing off of Bruce Campbell, who is a very, like, larger-than-life persona, very, you know, comic, it's not serious. Um, so that is an entirely different tone. And I would say she's fun there, but in terms of, like, the tone that this Star Trek is setting, no, I don't think it's working very well at all, but I would say... That for a number of the cast members that joined the TV show Picard, who I thought were just as uh, egregious at times. I just wonder if maybe her acting style would have been better suited for, like, um, Deep Space Nine, you know, and that you can kind of ham it up a little bit more, like, back in that era. And we saw many a guest star come through where it's, um, yeah, they're hamming it up a little bit, but it was a different era, and just even the way that they shot you know, show like that, I could buy it. But this, like the way that they're shooting this show, and it just seems like she's just not tone matching. And that's, I don't know, like I don't want to pick on an individual. I'd be mortified if somebody was like going over like uh, my resume or my work performance the way that I, I, I'm doing right now. But, you know, it's still something that just utterly irks me. And I, I finally come to grips with it after two seasons now. I always feel bad for actors to a certain degree because it's like, what you're left with when you watch the episode is the performance in front of you. And I agree. Like it's not very strong work from Rafi in this premiere of Picard, but it's like you give the performance on the set. Your takes are dictated by the editor and the director who decide, you know, what, which one was the best one. And sometimes that has nothing to do with the performance. Sometimes it's about, Oh, a background extra was looking at the camera in that shot. Don't use that one. And also you have the material that was written for you, which uh, I'm not going to speak too much about this episode, but in previous seasons of Picard has been flaming garbage. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the number of hurdles you have to get through to actually have something on screen where the audience is like, wow, it's kind of like working against actors, which is why I'm like, I tend to honestly like go after more like showrunners or directors or, mm -hmm. you know, writers than I will actors just for those reasons. Yeah. And also they're a very sensitive bunch you know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. so I, I get that. Um, you know, why don't I pose this question to you and maybe, uh, I'll do it now rather than the end of our episode here. If this was the series premiere of Picard and like what you saw on screen was the series premiere and nothing was changed at all. And so maybe some things would have, you would have like kind of cocked your head like, Oh, seven knows Picard somehow. Like oh, they're friends. Like you would have been going, gone like huh but let's just say everything you saw on screen was in fact the series premiere would you be like really really pumped for the next nine episodes i think i would be quite interested to see where it went 
Um, I I definitely would have um, raised my eyebrows at sort of the uh, <laughs> grim dark uh, storytelling that's going on, which feels a little outdated. You know, like the Beverly like killing people and vaporizing them and whatever. I would have been rolling my eyes at stuff like that. But in terms of the overall sweep of the episode, yeah, I, I, honestly, because I think I would have been more excited about where we were going to go in the next episode than the uh, premiere for season one Picard really left me. <laughs> Thank God we got to watch two episodes in a row. And the next one was <laughs> Maps and Legends. <laughs> like... You think about this episode, right? And you've got the launch of the Titan. I've got some beloved characters that I'm having to, you know, get a reunion with. Um, there's at least some hooks for things that are going to happen. I'm watching like the first episode of Picard and I'm watching like Picard um, get yelled at by a journalist and uh, kind of mope around a vineyard. It's like, it's not a bad premiere um, for the season one Picard, but it's not a like um, kind of grab you by the lapels and shake you and be like, here we go. We're going on an adventure kind of premiere. If I'm being honest, if this was a series premiere and there would have been stuff going over my head like, oh, Picard's living with uh, Romulan and they're going to go move to another planet because she has a diplomatic security job. Um, I, 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 Honestly, I would have been pumped. Like, I, I would have been like, yeah. I cannot wait to see what this season has in store. I am. Oh, you've got seven of nine in the main cast. Oh, this Raffi character who I'm just meeting. Well, okay, maybe there needs to be a little bit of work done, but I can't wait to see what she does next. You know, like I, I honestly would have been pumped. I just, and and that's why I, I like I wonder if I'm being too unfair to this show. And I suspect there might be a lot more um, excited, you know, Star Trek fans out there for this episode than what I'm feeling right now. But Cam, I mean, you and I, we just rewatched season two uh, just a week ago. That is weighing on me quite a bit. And it's essentially the same creative team minus Akiva Goldsman, uh, who uh, is not serving as the showrunner in, in this particular one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that it's the problem is it's like it's so much like the Stargazer episode and that it has those kind of reintroductions. It's rebooting the the show basically from the previous season and putting the characters in new places and so there's like that kind of excitement of discovery not the show discovery i won't put the word excitement next to star trek discovery anytime soon but there's the excitement of discovering kind of the world once again with these characters and uh so it does have a great hook and i i think it's a pretty confident episode like i don't as much as there's like bits and pieces in this one that didn't work for me um overall like it was confident enough in what it was delivering that I it didn't feel like it would be um like an obligation to watch the next episode I was actually curious to watch the next episode I also throw this out there that like when I um went back and rewatched season two the stargazer I didn't like it nearly as much as I did that uh that first week that I saw it's you know back in 2020 2021 um it or no oh my god the world, man. Uh, this was yeah. it like 2022, I think, last year. Anyway, um, I just, because I knew what was to come and I knew some of the setup was going to places that really annoyed me. So Stargazer even like fell in my own esteem, um, which I'm sure the creators care about. But it's just kind of, it's just interesting <laughs> how I, you know, just, just subsequent viewing didn't actually improve season two of Picard, whereas subsequent viewing actually did improve season one of Picard for me. So it's just kind of interesting how like my approaches i i could imagine myself rewatching season one of picard again 
Um, it's not at the top of my list. Um, but I just I, we asked ourselves that question like last week. Like I can't imagine myself watching uh, season two of Picard again. Just like I can't imagine myself watching season four of Discovery again. You can throw in season three Discovery for me as well. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um I I could watch season 3 of Discovery before I could watch season 4 of Discovery. I'm not saying I'm going to, but I'm saying like that would be uh easier to digest. Maybe a return trip to the Seed Vault could happen for me, but <laughs> there's no way I'm going back to uh <laughs> um find species 10C once again. Unification 3 or um yeah. Well, actually, you know what? Cam, I might Okay. Ahead of the premiere of Discovery, which uh, I think Wilson Cruz was saying that it, it should be premiering or ex- expected to premiere in the spring. Um, I might rewatch the final two episodes. Um, you know, I, I do remember out of that season, um, the second to last one, uh, Species 10C was the name of the episode. That was the best episode of the season. Uh, the finale was a turd, but I just, I, I, I'd like to be reminded of like where we left off those characters. And um, I don't know. I'm not rewatching the entire season, though. No, there's no way I will. Um, I'm just like really thankful that Discovery uh, season five is ten episodes. Like, thank <laughs> God, that is the greatest of gifts that ever could have been given to me. Less Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, oh, that's brutal, but man. Uh, <laughs> That's what the that's what that the that creative team has done to us though. Like, yeah. like we want less of them. <laughs> like <laughs> um So Kim, okay, how'd you feel? Okay, the new opening sequence where it's very brief. It's kind of the, the music combine combines like first contact and the kind of uh Star Trek Picard motif there, and then you just get part one, the next generation. Yeah. Um uh, I mean it looks solid and I like the end credits as well. Um it just like it did kind of get a chuckle out of me because it's like they are just so content to scrap the iconography of those first two seasons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like they do not care at all. Oh yeah. <laughs> they are like, this show is the TNG reunion people. Forget what you've seen before. We are just like starting over. And so in terms of like a visual, in terms of music cues, it definitely gets you into the spirit of the episode. I just kind of had to walk away going like what is the series Picard? <laughs> well, it's clearly a show that's never been auteur-driven. And if you look at the best shows on TV, all of them, all of them are auteur-driven. And, you know, there's just been no guiding voice, no lodestar. And it's just kind of, like, I feel bad for all the investment folks have made in this show because you can tell that there are, like, I don't know, like Star Trek fans and involved with the creation of the series, but I don't know, man. Like, like you said, what is this show? I, I, I don't know. Kim, I've literally never watched a show like this before, and that is not a compliment. It, <laughs> it, it seems as if it's made by people that don't know how to make television, and I, you know, I, eh, or maybe people that don't watch television as well. Maybe. Um, but um, so I, so the thing I wonder about though, so we have an end credit sequence, you know. And it looks as if it's kind of scanning the console of, or one of the consoles of the uh, USS Titan A. Um, 
that that was my takeaway from it. I do appreciate that the uh, they had a uh, dedication to Annie Orshing, uh, the board queen who just passed away uh, quite suddenly um, uh, the other week, and you know they they said for Annie. Um, there were some little like uh, tidbits in there, like uh, there's kind of like one of the screens said uh, holodeck projection um, program ten Ford. So I do wonder if we do get uh a second glimpse of 10 forward following that uh, dream sequence in the premiere of uh series premiere of picard uh but um i i wonder though it is very unusual um actually like i, I can't really think of any other instance in which you have the names of the actors and the producers the directors writers at the end of the episode not at the start and I, I recall, like, from Battlestar Galactica, there had to be, like, some sort of, like, big negotiation. It, it involved, like, the uh, Actors Guild as well when they wanted to have, the res- like, a, a surprise return of a character. And they had... And so for that, they ended up putting that performer's name at, in the end credits, like we saw here. Right. I don't know if there was a similar negotiation or if all those rules are just, you know... 15 years later out the window or what the deal was. I just, I, I wonder if, because the other thing is like, they don't necessarily want people looking at the uh, credits and saying like, okay, Michael Dorn is going to be in this one. That's going to be the big reveal in like act three. Cool. You know, like I wonder if that's kind of why they've been pushed to the end. I don't know if that's just, that's, that's my far out theory right now. Well, wasn't it Star Trek Discovery? Um, a couple times that like actually kind of spoiled where the episode was gonna go because it would have cast members listed where we were like, oh, okay, and it would say like special guest star Michelle Yeoh in this episode, yeah. and you're like, oh, oh, okay, I guess she's gonna be in this episode. Wilson Cruz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, I kind of prefer that they do it this way. Um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, refresh my memory, Tyler. In Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Um, do they have the credits across the bottom of the screen in text when the episode starts or at the, are they at the end? They have it uh, at the bottom in text. And it's interesting because okay. they have what well, it's like a 15 second opening credit sequence, right? With just kind of the, yeah. uh, the twang, um, for both those respective series that the musical kind of cue. And then it's just like the text at the bottom, which is more kind of, um, more like 1990s style television versus most prestige dramas have like their own opening credit sequences uh, in which all of those credits are delivered right there. Yeah, it, it's more going the way movies are now where they will have just like a like a very brief title stamp or something and that all the credits are at the end. I think I think the Marvel TV shows put all their credits at the end, don't they? I think you gravely overestimate how much I uh, have, have rewatched and paid attention to anything going on in these Marvel shows. Um, You're loving um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier take two right now. Sure. sure. Um, one other thing, like, um, there, okay, so on the television series Angel, it was very interesting. And, like, um, they often used, like, flashbacks, you know, to, like, the 1800s and or, or you know, 1980s New York. And just, uh, it was very intriguing, like, how they were telling the story of um, the, the titular character over the ages, you know, uh, throughout the run of the series. And it was, I think it was, I don't want to, look. It, it's a 20-year-old show. Uh, just in case there's folks that haven't seen it, but they they had been flashing back to this one particular um, vampire character that had been dispatched with um, 
I think maybe on Buffy or, or early on in Angel. And it was just very interesting. Like this character had been appearing in all these flashbacks. And so, of course, you would see that uh, that, that actor's name would be in the kind of uh, the credits at the bottom of the screen, you know, like guest star and so-and-so. And it was a huge revelation when that person appeared, you know, in a flashback sequence. But then they appeared in present day at the very end for this big giant reveal. And it kind of it kind of blew me away because I was not expecting that giant reveal at the end. So they kind of tricked the audience um, in kind of building up to that. I thought it was just a very clever way of getting around some of those rules that you had back in the day. Mm, yeah, that is quite clever. Um, I had a, a, another question kind of going off of like opening credits and whatever. Um, somewhat connected to that. When you look at Next Generation, DS9, the original series, there's a really strong musical identity to any of those shows. What would you say the musical identity is of Star Trek Picard? Well, it's that little motif that we heard, you know, at, you know, you have at, at the uh, opening sequence, you know, with the uh, when that music combines the first contact and the Picard kind of theme, and then it says part one. You yeah. know, that's a little like uh, flute motif that uh, we, we've heard throughout. It it does seem like it's being more and more diluted this season because it's a lot of like TNG centric musical cues. Oh, I will say that the uh, the score here uh, uh, exponentially better. Then when we got those first yeah. two seasons, I, I really did not like the music at all in those first two seasons. Um, I, I just thought it was really bland and like, meh, didn't do anything for me. Um, although speaking of music, uh, Cam, they continue to have those incredibly awkward cuts uh, like between acts in which like the music swells and abruptly fades off and then you abruptly cut to the next uh, act. I, Cam, I don't know how to explain this. <laughs> This is so aggravating, and like, there's literally no other television show that does this, save for something you might like. I don't know, maybe the Beachcombers did editing that way. <laughs> no, like, no, back no in the seventies and eighties. Like, I don't know. You better explain to people what the Beachcombers are. <laughs> uh, I don't. Know. <laughs> for those that don't watch uh, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, it was just one of those like television shows that was. Uh, Canadian television shows uh, took place uh, here on the west coast uh, of Canada in, in British Columbia, and it was just one of those shows that took place in like a beach town. It just aired constantly on television, like nonstop. It was just like bad production values. It looked very eighties, um, but I, I think it yeah. may have even premiered in like ninety one or something like that. But um, no, I think it was an eighties. For Christmas one year, someone gave me a uh, Beachcombers like spinoff novel. Oh, okay. How did you enjoy that? I did read it because I felt guilty not reading uh, books that were gifts in those days. Um, and so I did read it and uh, it was fine. It was just fine. Uh, a couple of years ago, like uh, an ex and I, we, we went and visited um, the Sunshine Coast and she pointed out to me um, the locations that they filmed the beachcombers. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I had no idea. Okay, there you go. Never knew. Cool. True confession. I've never actually seen an episode of The Beachcombers. I don't think I've actually seen an episode. Either. It's just me like flipping through the channels as a kid, and it was just constantly on. Okay. Yeah. What was another CBC show that was constantly on? Oh. Like there's Degrassi, of course. Um, well, there was Due uh, Do South. Um, Due South, yeah. Oh, there was John Ovision. Um, oh, yeah. You know. All the Rick Mercer stuff. There's a uh, oh 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 god uh, this hour has twenty two minutes uh, 
which I hated. Yeah. Uh, Royal Canadian Air Farce. Ha ha ha. Isn't yeah. that funny? Uh, I hated that show as well. <laughs> um, Farts. <laughs> to quote Riker. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, back to Star Trek. We'll, uh, yeah. Um, the, the transitions. Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah it's, that was just so awkward to me um did you notice though that they were all raffy scenes that were the really awkward transitions oh okay well i did notice at least one was i i but i okay so i noticed two awkward transitions but i didn't put it together that they were both raffy scenes yeah both like both of the really jarring ones happened at the end of raffy scenes <laughs> maybe the character is meant to be jarring and that's why they do those uh act breaks like that i don't i can't explain it. It, it it's it it looks amateur it looks like it does you're watching the last the uh, clerks movie <laughs> i mean tyler you and i went to journalism school and we took editing uh to make video stories we would have gotten very low grades if we'd had <laughs> transitions like that <laughs> i know i know <laughs> how'd you like the fact that i was digging up those old uh videos uh and posting them on our old uh, j school facebook group this past week nostalgia and it made me feel old <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I okay, I, I did get a chuckle out of the fact that uh, you know we're in Le Chateau Picard and we have the um, the uh, print of the seventeen oh one D framed, and he's uh, Picard's debating uh, whether to give it to Jordy, who's now working at night at the museum with Ben Stiller or something like that, as you know the. Uh, <laughs> Starfleet Museum. All the exhibits come to life at night. <laughs> well, I think that explains the return of lore. <laughs> and maybe Moriarty. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, but, um, and then, okay, so they cut from that, um, that painting to like an Eagle Moss ship, uh, like model version of Enterprise D. For those that don't know, Eagle Moss is a very popular line of uh, ship models. Um, I don't think the company had gone bankrupt mm-hmm. at the time that they were filming this season, so I did get a laugh that they were kind of advertising this now bankrupt company. I, th- I think some other company is now taking over those models, or some sort of licensing agreement has has been arranged. But um, I did have to—I literally laughed out loud uh, the moment the guy who's clearly spying on Riker and Picard tosses the Enterprise D into his cocktail tumbler <laughs> and the scene cuts away. I was laughing at how yeah. bad that looked. That was another example of like like really weird or like bad directing um, that we, we saw here. And it's just like, you know, it's supposed to look like real ominous and badass. And it looked like, I don't know, like, like something like I was watching like Hunter from like 1988 or something like that. It was definitely a shot where I just thought to myself, he didn't usually have scenes in that way in other Star Trek shows. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, quite honestly. <laughs> huh. Um, But apparently this scene also reveals that um, Deanna and Kestra, they'd appreciate some time away from uh, Riker. Uh, I guess he's having some family problems, some marriage problems. Uh, Unspoken, exactly like true to Picard. Just teasing us with like, what could it be? I don't know. We'll find it in another episode. So is this because um, they still need to define people by conflict or is this because it's actually a tom Riker in disguise <laughs> the tom Riker one is more fun but i mean maybe we should just go down the list as to where all the returning characters are because yes you have Riker who seems to be having marital problems or family problems with his wife and daughter and just needs to be away um you have seven who's serving on a ship she hates <laughs> <laughs> yep. She hates her career in Starfleet. Yep. She hated being a, a, a 
serial killer Fenris Ranger at the time. Like, I... Uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah, okay. And then you got Raffi is this uh, deep cover operative who's been left in the cold and is uh, miserable and communicating with just a voice that's done through text, which I'm pretty sure is Worf, considering the use of Warrior. Um, and she's being tempted by drugs as well. As Yeah, also. Uh, searching for the Red Lady, um, not to be confused with the Red Angel that will pay off later. Um, and then also Picard seems to be in a decent place, him and Laris together. I like those two. Um, once again, just give me a show of the two of them sitting by the fire talking for an hour and I'd be very happy. Um, and then Beverly up, things didn't seem to be going that well for her either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, is Laris fated to get dumped by the end of the season? I hope not. I really, really hope not. Um, I, I, kind of am weirdly invested in those two despite the fact the show has given me almost nothing to hang on to <laughs> that is my love that's like the life preserver i am floating in the ocean of star trek picard holding on to yeah um so i kind of like the idea of those two together it would really really bum me out if laris basically just ends this season with being like well you and beverly are meant to be goodbye um or she did say in this one she would be waiting for him at a bar somewhere and that he could show up there, which reminded me a lot of the ending of The Dark Knight Rises. But, um, yeah, I don't need to have Beverly going off into the sunset, uh, or Picard and Beverly going off into the sunset at the end. That's not what I need. I just put Picard back together with Laris. That's not what you need. <laughs> but I know. what do you think the creators ultimately think the, the the audience wants though i i just i just wonder if the creators like yeah we finally need to get beverly and and john luke together um they have a love child uh, cam if it's not picard's son like who whose son is it then well i mean okay first of all picard was going on in the previous season in season two about oh i'm the last picard and uh, that was very notable to me, especially on the rewatch. And they shot those two seasons back to back, season two and three. And then in this one, we have him going on, I don't need a legacy and all that. So it's like, okay, fine. Like, Well, also, like, they're packing up the chateau. Like, what exactly is going to happen to this empty chateau? <laughs> I have no idea. Is he going to gift it to Rafi so she doesn't have to live in a trailer park anymore? <laughs> She wishes she was in that trailer right now. At this point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, seems pretty good now. I like how every season, uh, someone new gets to Captain La Serena. It's like... Yeah, that's true. Sure, sure. Will that be like one of the post-Picard spinoffs? Like, is the is La Serena <laughs> destined to show up in whatever Star Trek, the next next generation show? Will someone be piloting it? Yeah, it'll be Narc. <laughs> or Elnor, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay, I, can I go back to the red lady thing? That was so stupid. Yeah. It's like, I've solved it. It's a red statue of Rachel Garrett from yesterday's Enterprise camp. Yeah, the red lady. That's all the uh, criminal element gossip. The red lady. They're talking about a statue that's red. I, I just thought that was so... Like, it was them trying to be like, hey, 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 look how clever Raffi is as a detective. I'm just like, okay, or, or is it just bad writing? Yeah, well, it's like the writers don't have confidence that they can tell the audience what it is and generate suspense. They do not have an ability to generate suspense. Uh, as Alfred Hitchcock always said, 
you know, the difference between suspense and surprise. Suspense, you know there's a bomb underneath the table, but you don't know when it's going to go off. And so you're waiting with the characters to find out when it's going to go off. Surprise, you never know there's a bomb, and it suddenly just goes off out of nowhere. And to me, that's what this show is. They don't have the skill to write or, you know, stage suspense. So it's just all about, you know, throwing out buzzwords like Red Lady just to hit you with a surprise. It's like jump scares, basically. Well, and that's just it. Like, I, I thought another example of, like, really poor directing is when they're on the, um, when Picard and Riker are on the Elios, and you have that shot which kind of the camera turns to reveal that man standing behind Riker holding a gun, and then the music just swells and then cuts directly to Picard examining, like, Beverly in the cryogenic chamber. And uh, hmm. it's just, it's not good directing, though. No. <laughs> but it's a show that wants to be like an action-based Star Trek show, but they don't have the direction to pull that off. Like, I have many an issue with, like, some of those earlier Marvel shows, and I'm talking about, like, Daredevil, but, like, they had top-notch action directors to stage things like that, you know, the hallway fight or the stairwell fight or whatever. They could really pull that stuff off. But, like, Star Trek this newer era they want to have all this action-based stuff happen oh my god beverly's gonna be in a shootout with like you know assailants with phaser rifles you're gonna have all this sort of stuff happening but it's not good action direction so it's kind of like at the very least right to your strengths um what are those strengths i was hoping you wouldn't ask me that i would say their <laughs> strengths are fan service yeah easter yeah. eggs lots and lots of easter eggs well, speaking of which, um, that ode to the motion picture where we go into kind of a dry dock, what have you, um, to me that seemed a little rushed and a little fan servicey. Like they, they wanted it over within 20 seconds versus, you know, like the four minutes that we got with uh, uh, Kirk back in the day. I, I really liked the music, um, but Cam, I, I'm incredibly confused by the no pun intended on Constitution of the USS Titan, which was described as a Titan refit, although it's listed as the Titan A, and it's described as a Neo-Constitution class. And I'm like, what does any of this mean to like the average person? Because like, last we saw the Titan, it was featured in Lower Decks, and yeah. it didn't have, like, like it had a saucer section and then kind of an aft section that would be above the saucer section. But now it has an aft section that's below the saucer section. And they're calling it a refit. Or did they just turn the Titan upside down? <laughs> is, is that what happened? <laughs> um, so, but it says Titan A. So, and then Shaw. Oh, we haven't talked about Captain Shaw yet. But we want to do that in a second. But then great. Ca Captain Shaw is saying, like, I had to purge jazz music out of the computer mm -hmm. system so like okay sure I, I it seems like like has, has Riker programmed it into the warp core like every time like um the war uh, the ship goes to warp like jazz music plays like i don't know but so is it the same ship or did Riker, uh, in addition to commanding the uss titan as seen in lower decks he also commanded the uss titan a and then it was undergoing refits and Shaw's been in command for five years as he said and then we're just seeing the new refit version of the A which Riker also commanded in addition to just the classic Titan no letter it, it, or am I just overthinking this 
Well, I don't want to say you're overthinking it. It's just that I am so not like a ship guy. So like a lot of those details kind of fly over my head to a certain degree. But it did raise the question, and I believe this has been raised before in regards to newer Trek, but like, do they know what a refit is? Yeah. Um, because the same thing with the Stargazer, like, because wasn't it yeah. like listed as a Stargazer A? And then like Picard kept describing it as a refit. And like, I think the indication yeah. was, is that it was like literally the ship that he had commanded, but it had been thoroughly refit, but they called it the Stargazer A. Yes. So it's the same thing. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. It, or at least it's not the rules that we've been following, um, for the preceding 50 years of Star Trek, where, you know, at the very end of Star Trek four, we have, you know, kind of the reveal of the 1701A. And that's because the original was destroyed at the end of Search for Spock. And then we got the subsequent, you know, uh, B, C, D, right? So I don't know. I I just like the fact that they're making me confused and I'm sure there's other folks confused by this. Like you don't want... You don't want your viewing audiences to get like sidetracked thinking about this sort of stuff that seems more kind of off the cuff sort of throwaway lines. Well, I just find it weird because they have like a lot of people on their staff who are kind of these keepers of Star Trek lore. Uh, so it, I, I have a hard time believing that that would slip by them. It has to be intentional, but I don't know why they're leaving it kind of vague. Uh, uh... I don't get it. They're so on the nose with all their other references. Like, yeah. they will not let a reference slide by without really pointing a, you know, a, a flashlight at it for, so you don't miss it. But then something like this is just kind of like hemmed and hawed over, and it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Uh, speaking of not making sense, um, Riker saying to Picard, the first officer, I think you'll recognize. And then he shouts at seven of nine, how dare you speak to an admiral that way? As if like, so does Riker realize they're friends or not? Like when seven's kind of like drilling into this retired admiral. Did you get the sense that they were friends based on their interaction? Well, no, because remember the season finale (laughs) of season two, Um, their family, as Picard said, as they were all giving cheers to each other. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I didn't pick up any sense of family. And you can say, I'm sure like the apologist would say, well, she's on duty. Um, Picard is there in a professional capacity. But I'm sorry. I've seen a lot of Star Trek shows where people are on duty and a old friend comes to the ship or the station. It's not like they still treat them like they are like, (laughs) you know, their their staff. Well, there there could have at least been like a line or two exchange between Seven and Picard that just like, it's so easy to do to just throw, like, just just toss some like throwaway lines in there. And just, it, it, it gives so much more authenticity to what you're trying to say. It's, uh, Cam, why do I keep having to say this? It's like the Star Trek writers don't understand uh, the show, not tell rule. That is just, that is like the, the first rule of creative writing. And it seems as if, like none of the folks in Discovery and Picard understand that rule. I wonder if Picard ever thought to ask, like, uh, "Hey, Seven, how's Rafi doing?" Well, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Does he know she's like in deep cover, like posing as a drug addict? Like, does Picard know this? I doubt it. He doesn't seem to care either. Well, I, I, I hope <laughs> if she's in deep cover, but everybody knows, it's kind of like how everybody knows Section 31 exists somehow. Mm, mm, uh, good point, yeah. good point, yeah. Uh, it came, I really hope it's not like Worf, who is the mysterious handler of Rafi, because it's like it goes back to that small world sort of trope 
where it's like everybody's connected. And it's like, oh, what a coincidence. And it's like, eh, sure. Well, I guess my takeaway, though, is like, why are they obscuring who this person is on the other side? And so it's like, who could it be? If, if we I take Worf off the table, who else is even out there that would make sense? It's not going to be Jordy. Uh, and I don't think it's Deanna Troy. <laughs> well, I, I, the only other one that it might be, um, look, Luther Sloan might still actually be alive. <laughs> he might actually be alive, but, um, do you think it could be, uh, Julian? No, okay. no, I don't. I mean, like the, um, I'd love it. It'd be, I'd be, I'd be bowled over if it was. I, I, I you know me, I, I do not care about fan fiction whatsoever, but like the, um, the more apocryphal semi-official and by that unofficial um kind of star trek um like uh novels and comic book series it's like uh, julian ended up kind of getting to starfleet security or section 31 oh okay so okay there's I mean, that that would be that i guess the one thing that gives me pause about that theory is that like terry metallus has uh, been quite vocal about how this show isn't just continuing TNG. It's also continuing Voyager and Deep Space Nine. So at least that is a Deep Space Nine connection that you could do something with, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just hope it's not like fan service over fan service for, for the sake of fan service, you know, or, or it just feels cheap and unearned. Well, this is Star Trek Picard you're talking about, Tyler. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'm, I can still <laughs> hope, you know. Yeah. Um... Okay. Uh, Captain Shaw, Cam, guess what? <laughs> if a retired admiral and a Starfleet captain who's in the reserves right now uh, came aboard my ship and said, yeah, we're doing an inspection. You're going to change course. I'd have the exact same reaction as Captain Shaw, which is like, screw off. Like, no. And um, I like how, like, obviously character's being designed that you don't like him because he is being a jerk to you know, your uh, fan favorite characters, but I don't know. He has his quirks. Oh, I like the fact that, yes, they actually imbue this dude with personality by like him eating first. He's having uh, some gourmet food. <laughs> he tells Picard, I'm more of a Malbec guy. Uh, I don't like jazz music. Like, that's how you actually create a character with personality here versus an exposition machine. And so I'm I'm liking uh, Captain Shaw. I, I, I hope that he does grow on... on um, wider audiences, because I suspect uh, most people react negatively toward him uh, upon his first, uh, very much like how uh, Captain Jellico uh, has grown on people over the years. I feel like it's a damning statement about this podcast that, like, the character we're the most excited about off the Picard season three premiere is Captain Shaw. I know. <laughs> when you've got all these returning favorites and whatever, <laughs> but, like, I loved Captain Shaw. I love that it was a character that kind of cut through the veneer of the show which tends to kind of play kind of safe he was edgy he was kind of tough as you said he's kind of putting down these beloved characters you don't get a lot of these and i'm glad you mentioned jellico but i thought also of captain styles a character that you and i have a lot of fondness for i like that if you're going to create this sort of starfleet that sucks which a lot of new trek is not on strange new worlds but in terms of picard and uh, often discovery uh, starfleet is like kind of lame uh so if you're going to create this starfleet that no one would want to be a member of i'm glad that they're creating a character here that is really distinct and i want to see more from like beverly's son i don't care i'm just there for the mystery i suppose but like captain shaw if you tell me he's going to be in like five more episodes i'm looking forward into seeing where he would go well he's in the he's in the main credits you know um 
It's very curious that Brent Spiner was in the main credits uh, last season, whereas both Frakes and McFadden, they're getting special guest star credit. They're not in like kind of the main credits. So I'm just like, I, I, I'm i sure it's all contract stuff and it has to do with salaries or whatever, but it, it, it is very curious to me. Is that, remember the whole Michelle Yeoh thing where like, she was like pretty much a regular, but she's always credited as guest star in Discovery. Yeah. And remember also with the episode Nepente where... Um, Jonathan Frakes got how did it work he got like a main guest star credit and well, like Marina Sirtis didn't it, it was uh like he was uh, a special guest star Jonathan Frakes but it was just like and guest starring <laughs> it just said guest starring Marina Sirtis yeah 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 and I think she was in the end credits wasn't she he was in like the front ones yeah and, like, yeah, yeah yeah that's all agents people I think so yeah um can we, I, there's another uh crew member aboard the titan that i want to talk about um did you ever watch you know those celebrity jeopardy clips from uh, snl back in the day oh yeah yeah um one of my favorites was um uh norm mcdonald's portrayal of uh of one burt reynolds and oh yeah incredible do, yeah do you remember when uh <laughs> he was like uh talking about his name he's like nah call me turd <laughs> turd ferguson it's <laughs> <laughs> like it was just such a stupid nickname, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, when uh, Riker goes to one uh, Sydney LaForge, and you're like, yeah, you're a uh, crash. Crash LaForge. <laughs> could you crash the shuttle? <laughs> like, could they not come up with a better nickname than Crash? Like, this, is, I thought it was, like, so stupid. I mean, if you are going to give a character identity, a character who's probably going to be overshadowed through the entire season by all the famous people... At least they gave her a catchy nickname. I'm sorry, but the, from here on out, whenever she appears, in my head, she's going to be uh, Turd Ferguson, <laughs> as far as I care. And I will, I will refer to Jordy's daughter as Turd Ferguson. I'm, I'm so sorry, Jordy. Now, much of what they've said about this season is that it sets up the next next generation for the future of Star Trek. Wow. I'm going to assume sure. that Crash LaForge is a part of that. Uh, probably Picard's son. <laughs> uh, but sure. is Captain Shaw going to lead us into the bright future of Star Trek? <laughs> uh, well, I I wonder if like the next next generation might be taken too literally, and I wonder if it's more of kind of a a a spiritual, you know, thing to think about thematically as the season progresses more than kind of a literal. Um, and this is our plan for a proposed spinoff that we're going to take to Paramount Plus right. and pitch, you know. Um, but if it's more in the literal vein, then I could see, you know, a Captain Shaw with First Officer Seven and I guess Turd Ferguson and um, pre-Traveler um, uh, New son of crusher you know like it will will the new son be whisked off by the traveler by the end of uh this season cam that's what i'm wondering in a perfect world yes and then we get a okay. spinoff of wesley Corey soon and this dude <laughs> and the traveler and the traveler and the traveler good. and then paramount plus burns <laughs> uh, okay um i don't know I'm, I'm, oh I, I will say this though you, you alluded to it um I find that the CG is being rendered far better mm -hmm. in this than I've seen uh, anywhere between Discovery and um, Strange New Worlds 
and the previous two seasons of Picard. I really do think that um, it's just looking much better. At least my uh, my Crave app is working much better than it has for the other shows. Well, like imagine if they tried to stage that launch of the Titan that we saw in this episode. Very impressive sequence. But like imagine they tried to do that in like season one with the Discovery. It would have been brutal. Yeah. Like it just looked like I was watching... Um, I don't know, Starfighter, like the uh, the uh, video game back in oh, the 90s. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, although instead, we're like, hey, meet the USS Discovery. Halfway through episode three of <laughs> Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. I don't know, like, what is your takeaway from this episode now as we, like, are going to head into episode two? Um... I don't even know what to say in that, like, uh, like uh, okay, my takeaway, uh, at least there's no mystery box stuff, or at least, like, it's totally okay to have unanswered questions from episode to episode. But when everything is kind of like this mystery box element where you're just supposed to wonder what things mean and it leaves you, like, confused, I can watch kind of the attack on Metallus Prime and I'm like, okay, there is a threat out there. I don't necessarily need the answer to the threat immediately. But when you have an episode like Stargazer, or the Stargazer, I should say, and it's some nonsensical Borg attack, and you've got flashbacks to Picard's mother, and then Q suddenly shows up, and it's like, okay, more mystery box here. It's like, it, like that's what I found very frustrating about those first two seasons of Picard. It doesn't seem as if we've at least gotten there at this point. Um, what's my takeaway? I think the show, at least early on, is showing more signs that it was made by a competent creative team. And I am very, very excited to see more familiar faces. I hope that whoever is out there hunting the Elios is doing it for more than just uh, what I suspect is a reason, which is like trying to drop a card out because of some sort of revenge that they want to enact upon him um the 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 ship looked cool the one that appeared at the very end of the episode you know and i don't feel like that's like some sort of like frustrating mystery box like cliffhanger it's more yeah. like yeah there's a cool reveal can't wait to see what happens next week yeah i mean there are a lot of uh star trek 2 wrath of khan uh kind of echoes going on in this episode so like i hope they aren't just turning into like a revenge uh story with the amanda Plummer character um but it's weird because it's like, I think we've been quite nitpicky and sometimes just like not impressed by what this episode did just in terms of this hour of discussion. But like, I do think in terms of Star Trek Picard or just like newer Star Trek, this was like a good enough premiere where I like I didn't walk away at all discouraged about watching the next episode. It kept me involved. You know, it was fun to hear Jonathan Frakes kind of quip now and then. Um, I'm intrigued as to where we're going to go this season, but it's just like, I can see the, the issues I have with this show and also discovery just kind of like gurgling underneath. And I'm just praying that they are minimal and the show finds its legs and just takes off in the next couple episodes. Critics have, as you said, been very enthusiastic about the first six. They were very enthusiastic about the first five episodes of strange new worlds. And I really loved the first five episodes of strange new worlds. So, um, fingers crossed, I guess. Yeah. 
I'm I'm still, it, but it's even like little things, like very clumsy exposition dumps, mm-hmm. and I'm like, who is your audience here? You know, like they 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 keep or keep claiming that they're making, you know, uh, prestige Star Trek or whatever. Yeah. I don't know, like, but this isn't prestige drama writing at all. It's very clunky. Whereas, I mean, Cam, yeah, uh, let's be honest, like, Berman era Star Trek, yeah, there would be some clunky moments of exposition. Sure. But it wasn't this pervasive. Not at all. And I just got to hand it to Deep Space Nine. Like, like I'm going through my rewatch, I'm about halfway through uh, this series now, and, and... the way that they stay away from techno babble, um, it 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 just kind of stuns me. Like it was just so interesting. Like doing my rewatch of TNG back to back with Deep Space Nine, and just noticing how much more techno babble there is in TNG versus Deep Space Nine, and just the, the way that TNG still was able to thread that needle, though. And it just it just feels as if kind of like Kurtzman era Trek has so much more difficulty. I just, if too often, it just feels like I'm watching like kind of the fan films, you know, and it's just like folks given like big budgets and they get to cast these uh, iconic um, uh, characters once more, uh, bring these characters back, you know, but I just, it just feels as if, is the spirit quite there? And I I, I know, like, I, I really hate people that are like, this isn't real Star Trek. Folks, Discovery, it's real Star Trek. Picard, it's real Star Trek. I, I, yes, it is. And, um, but is it good Star Trek? I guess I get like, is it seasons one and two TNG Star Trek? You know, like (laughs) that's what I'm wondering. The greatest of Treks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. So I know that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Haven masterpiece. (laughs) Um, Kim. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm. I, I look. I am uh, cautiously optimistic. That's my ultimate takeaway. I've been burned before, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm still excited to see Worf more than anyone else. Uh, uh, I can't wait to see what uh, Moriarty's up to. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, let's see this unfold. We've got nine more weeks of this. We've got some uh, special guests lined up already to come join us, um, starting uh, with episode three. I'm sorry, starting with episode two. Cam, episode three, um, as you don't know, um, a bit of a question mark um, uh-huh. based on the guest, but um, uh, long-time listeners might be able to guess who that guest might potentially be, but uh, we'll leave it there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. And of course, we'll be back next week with a review of episode two of season three of Picard. You can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in vintage jazz on the bridge. Smith. You can find me at Reporton. That's R-E-P. P is in P. O-R-T-O-N. <laughs> Keep it classy there. <laughs> classy as Riker. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.